This morning we are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a, as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, we gathered here six weeks ago now. It's been since Easter. So many people gathering together because it's a high holy day for Christians. The pinnacle of the Christian year to celebrate the love of God overcoming even death. To proclaim that God is still alive and at work and especially through this one Jesus of Nazareth who moved from the crucified Christ to the risen Christ. We've celebrated that great movement of God in our midst. And then we've been talking about ever since, what does that mean in our lives? What if we really believe that? How would we live? We've been using Paul's image of new creation that he writes about when he writes to the first Christians in Corinth, saying, what does it mean to tend the new creation that is each of us? If we're going to live as Christians, how would we do that? Do you remember how Paul talks about that? I want to read you just a couple of verses again from that second letter he wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know Him no longer in that way so if anyone is in christ there is a new creation so on easter we celebrate not only new life for christ but new life in christ for you and me so if anyone is in christ there is a new creation do you believe that for yourself that god is doing a new work in you even now Paul says the old will pass away. Something new is coming. God is wanting to do something great in you so that you will be a living example 
for others as a follower of Christ. I've been emphasizing how important it is for us to believe. For us not to celebrate Easter just one Sunday, but to live that out through our lives. Let's believe that and live as if we believe that. But then we have this story this morning from Mark that tells us about Jesus going to his hometown. And then Mark concludes that he was amazed at their unbelief. He goes home, I think, looking for support. He's already done some marvelous things, Mark has told us. But that's not the experience he has. Mark tells us what really happened when he went home. In verse 2, he says, On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Oh, they're astounded, and yet they do not believe. Why don't they believe? Mark tells us, I think, in verse 3, as he says, they're saying this, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? They're having trouble seeing Jesus as a man. They knew him as a child, as somebody growing up. They know his brothers and sisters. And now he's come back differently. But they're having trouble seeing not only that he's a man, but that he's a man of God. In the United Methodist Church, we have a system where pastors can be elected bishops. And bishops are given the authority then to make the appointments or the assignments for those of us who are pastors or elders in terms of where we will serve. But when that person is elected as a bishop, they also get assigned to an area. And one of the rules is they cannot be assigned to their home area, to their local area, because we understand what Jesus is talking about. It's too familiar. They know him or her too well. It's hard to have that sense of power and authority when they have known you so well and for so long. It's true for pastors in most cases as well. Reverend Charles Herndon is a retired United Methodist pastor. He was worshiping with us at the 8.30 service this morning. He was appointed to First United Methodist Church, Okmulgee, Oklahoma. That's my home church. He served there. Reverend Guy Langston is here in this service. He's another one of our retired pastors. He was appointed to First United Methodist Church, Okmulgee, where I grew up. He served there. I will never be appointed there. They will never send me back there because they knew me as a kid. (laughs) Right? They knew me when I was this big and this big and mischievous. And they knew my mom and dad. They know my brother and sister. Hard to have power and authority when they've known you since you were in diapers. Jesus understands this dynamic. I think he was hoping for more than he received. But then he says in verse 4, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. He realizes not much is going to happen in Nazareth. But Mark says Jesus does not 
allow that to derail his ministry. As Mark continues the story in verse 6, he tells us what Jesus does next. He says, Then Jesus went out among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. This marks a new phase in this ministry, this kingdom of God movement that God is working through Jesus. Up till now, he's the one doing the teaching. He's the one doing the healing. He's the one who's the leader. But at this point, Mark tells us there's a shift that he calls these 12 disciples who have been with him, who have been listening, hopefully learning, maybe asking some questions. And then he sends them out two by two to extend the ministry, to proclaim the love of God and the need for repentance and the need for all of us to turn toward God. It's important when we're getting ready to take a new step that we remember this. This is important for our graduating high school seniors as you prepare to move on, sometimes to move away. Realize that Jesus sends us out not alone, but with a partner. That's true for all of us, though. You may be in a new phase of your life, coming to retirement or changing of jobs, or maybe something's happened in your experience where you just feel like you're in a new place. We need to remember we are not alone. So often when we go to a new city or a new place, we can find ourselves feeling so lonely and sometimes really alone or isolated. But for Christians, it's not to be that way. We have a faith community other people to partner with us, with us in the faith as we move through these different stages of life. It is important to remember that we need each other. We grow best as Christians in the company of others. We serve best in concert with others. It's important for these graduating seniors to make connections in faith communities, but it's important for all of us to make sure that we have life partners, mission partners, faith partners that walk with us in this journey of being a Christian. I've been telling you about this book called Gardening Mercies by Laurie Keeler. I recommend it to you. She has lots of tips about gardening in here and how to make things grow. But she also, in every chapter, talks about how we grow as Christians and how we can help our faith grow tying that to some of her gardening tips the one i want to share with you this week is about how important it is to stake something you know where you put a stronger support into the ground next to a plant to give it extra strength when the wind blows or as it grows and bears fruit she talks about tree roses she says she loves tree roses i don't think i'd ever heard of tree roses i'm not that much of a gardener but she says it's just a rose bush that's been trained and bred to grow up on a stalk or a stem about two or three feet high and then to bush out and fill out and bloom she says it's beautiful it's just wonderful if you love roses she says to have one of these in your yard until the wind blows and then she says every time they fall to the ground they just break over the stem's not strong enough to hold them up she said you have to stake tree roses if you're going to enjoy them very long. You may have had some things blow over in your yard last night as the winds came in. Mary and I began to think, what's in the backyard? What pots are going to blow over tonight? What's going to break this evening? We sometimes need some extra support. 
Lori Keeler talks about the first time she remembers seeing steaks, of a plant with a steak was her father's tomato plant. She said, right out in the backyard by our swing set, my dad grew tomatoes. He said they were beautiful, but the same thing happened every year. Once they began to put on fruit, they would sag. And if he didn't stake them, then they fall to the ground. The bugs or the birds eat them. They go rotting really quickly. She said you have to stake your tomato plants if you're going to get all the fruit that they want to grow. But then she says people are sort of like that too. I want you to hear what she says about that. Just as some plants do better with a little support, so do people. People who make it on their own, who claim they don't need anybody else, are treated with respect in our society. But God made us relational people, first with him and then with others. Throughout the Bible, God gives us examples to show it's not only okay to get a little support now and then, but it's also part of God's design. And then she goes on to talk about biblical examples. She talks about Moses and how he couldn't fulfill his role without the help of others. She talks about the early disciples of Christ and how they needed each other to fulfill the role that God was calling them to through Christ. She references the book of Hebrews out of our Christian scriptures where it talks about the early Christians realizing how important it was to encourage each other to meet together regularly and how valuable that was if we were going to be all that God wants us to be. But then she talks about Jesus and says, you know, even Jesus needed support. Listen to just a couple of sentences. She says, even Jesus desired encouragement and support in his darkest hour. He pleaded with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Even Christ needed support and encouragement of others. He gathered a band of 12 to be his disciples, to travel with him throughout his ministry and then to carry it on. We all need that kind of support and encouragement. The good news is that you're here at Boston Avenue and we love to help and support other people on their faith journey. We're willing to meet them wherever they are and walk with them in faith and try to help them grow spiritually. For you all who are going away, it's important to remember the Boston Avenue family can be your mission partner. We can still be your faith family whether you're here or far away. As you all are graduating, it made me think back to the time I was the senior high youth minister and knew each and every graduate had been with them in so many different kind of experiences and how many of them still call me or email me or come back when they're in need of a little spiritual guidance or wisdom, when they are having a hard time and want a little encouragement, maybe some fellowship, they often come back to Boston Avenue when they're home. I started thinking about Joel. He has those same kind of experiences with our young people, our Sunday school teachers, other staff people. We have some people who are friends in faith with our students when they're sixth graders who stay in touch with them all through middle school and high school and even into college and write them and email them and text with them because we're a family of faith. We want to support you all, but everyone, as we journey along. 
the Bible says it's so important that we have faith partners, that we have mission partners as God sends us out or we have a change in our times of life, that we know we have other people who will walk with us and encourage us and support us. We have college students starting to come back home from their first or second or third year in school. They've just finished their semester. Some will be here and worship with us, some in Sunday school. Some will be employed by the church. Others will be volunteering to help with Bible school or to go to camp as a sponsor or to work with a children's group on a weeknight or a Sunday or whatever. They come back because they know we will embrace them as their faith family, that we're eager to see them again and see what they've learned and where they've been and what they've done. But whether they've been gone two years or 22 years, it's important for them to know that we understand what Jesus is talking about when he sends them out two by two, that we're ready to stand there with them through thick and thin, through the ups and downs of their life. That's what Christian community is all about. Life can be hard on us, and especially hard on the dreams that burn within us. It's so easy to get discouraged, to get distracted to have the demands of others wear us down. It's great to have a family of faith. Oh, we all need some independence. We all have to take responsibility for our decisions. That is true. But the wisdom from our scripture lesson today is that life is better when shared. We do better together. A story I read recently it's about a group of boys who hiked out into the woods. They're just on an adventure one Saturday afternoon. And they stumble upon some old abandoned railroad tracks. And the first boy to the track jumps up on one of the rails and he tries to walk on it. He takes two or three steps, then he stumbles off. Another boy jumps up, he takes a couple steps, then he slips off as well. All the other boys begin to laugh. The one who had just fallen turns around and says, I bet you can't do it either. It's harder than it looks. So one by one, they jump up on a rail, and one by one, they take a few steps, and then they fall off. And finally, one tall, lanky kid in the back says, I think he can do it, and points to one of his buddies. I think he can get on that rail and walk all the way to the turn. In fact, I think I can too. And the other boys say, no way you can do that. He said, I'll bet you each a candy bar I can the stakes are now right there. Candy bars are weighing in the balance. They all bet, say, all right, let's see it. The two boys walk over to the rails together, look at each other, and then simultaneously from the inside of the track, step on a rail, reach out their hand, and grab the other one, and they walk all the way to the turn. Life is better together. Jesus tells his disciples where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Let us all remember that it is with good reason that Jesus sends us out two by two. Amen. And thanks be to God.